Amen. Boy, aren't those some reassuring words this morning? Um, we had this conversation in our car the other day. We were coming back from dinner on Friday night and with our kids. And uh, one of our children asked, you know, we just got talking about, I don't know, we just got in the conversation of heaven and hell and, and how you get into heaven. And, and one of my kids, you know, they just said, well, you know, they wanted just to know for sure that they that they were saved. And because it's so easy to mix the works in there, like my righteousness and, and am I good enough? And am I doing enough good things to get in? And, and that song is perfect because it's nothing I could have ever done to ever appease God's righteousness. And it's all through the work of Christ because he was perfect. And maybe, maybe you've come into this place today and, and maybe you're just overwhelmed with a sense of guilt or shame of your past. And, and I know for all of us, including myself, we're reminded of the things we've done maybe this week or even the, even this morning. Maybe it wasn't real pretty at my house last night after Syracuse lost. So I need to ask for forgiveness right now. Uh, it wasn't pretty. Um, but, you know, it, we, we all go to that sense of, of like, God, have I done enough? A- am I good enough? And, and none of us in this place. Let me just let me just put all of you at ease today. We're all sinners. We, we're, we're all the, the at, you know, the. The cross, at the foot of the cross, it's all level. There, there's not a, a, a little higher level for people who are a little more holy and a little more holy. We're all, we're all at the same place. We're all sinners. And we need God's grace. And maybe you're here this morning and you're just feeling a sense, you're just overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed with life. You're overwhelmed with your life. You've, you, you go to bed at night, maybe there's some guilt and shame from your past and you're Maybe, maybe you didn't even feel like coming to church today because, because of that. You, you felt like you weren't even good enough. Maybe even during the songs today, you were like, I can't even sing these worship songs because I just I don't feel worthy enough. Well, you know what? In yourself, you're not. But in Christ, you are. And, and that's the good news. The good news is Jesus came to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And so as we pray this morning, let, 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 let's just free ourselves of the guilt and condemnation that we're trying to cover in our own good works. And let's just come to Christ and let's just lay those things at his feet and say, Jesus, I just, I need you this morning. I need your forgiveness. And, and through that forgiveness comes the peace that you're looking for. Through that forgiveness comes the assurance and that your identity is not in who you are. Your identity is not you know, attached to your past, but now you are in Christ. And for those that are in Christ, they're a new creation. And, uh, and, and that's what gives us the right to find that gift of eternal life, to stand before a holy God. It's all because of the blood of Christ and what he's done for us. So, Lord, we, we, um, we come before you this morning and uh, we confess that, that we've fallen short. And, Lord, I pray for every person here today that's just struggling with themselves and struggling with their worth and struggling with their identity, that they would just come to you. And realize it's only through your blood. It's only through your perfect sacrifice that we could ever find forgiveness because you were perfect and you did everything for us. You did everything for us that we could never do for ourselves. Thank you, God, for, for providing us Jesus. We believe that he is the only way, that he is the only Savior. There's no other way that man can be saved but through Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that as we lay our guilt and our condemnation, our shame before you, that in return we would feel the peace of God, knowing that we're in right relationship with you because of what Christ has done for us. So, Lord, I just pray for everyone here today. We, we've got so much baggage and, and shame and guilt 
Lord, but God, we know that through your grace and through your sacrifice, you can cover those things and we can find forgiveness today. And so we ask for your forgiveness and we ask, God, that you would give us your peace in return, knowing that we're in right relationship with you. God, give us ears to hear this morning. Um, Lord, let our eyes be attentive to what you would want us to see this morning for our very hearts. Help us just not to come in here this morning just at church as usual. Help us to say, God, this is a new day, and uh, you want to say something to me. You, you want to speak to my heart, and so we're asking you to speak to our hearts this morning. And I thank you for living word. I thank you for your church. And for everyone that's gathered here this morning, we just give you glory. And we just thank you for Jesus. And it's his name and his name alone. We ask these things. And all God's children said, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Amen. It's good to see all of you here this morning. I had my Syracuse shirt ready to wear this morning. I had it ironed. I had it pressed. I thought for sure. It's interesting. Pastor Jim, our youth pastor, is a, is a huge Ohio State fan. The same team, Dayton, beat Ohio State on uh, Thursday to play Syracuse today. So now Pastor Jim and I have a common enemy. I'm never going to Dayton, Ohio, ever. Just want to let you know that. <laughs> we got a witness out there from some Cuse fans. Um, we are in the middle of uh, going through the book of James, and it's been a great study on uh, what it truly means to live an authentic Christian walk. What, what does it truly mean to walk uh, with the Lord? And, 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 and what is an authentic faith? How, how does that look? And what I love about the book of James is he gets very practical. He was the brother of Jesus. Um, he didn't give his life uh, to Christ until after the resurrection. He was a leader in the Jerusalem church. Church tradition tells us that he actually gave his life for Christ. What a great testimony of of um, the authenticity of who Jesus was and that he indeed was the Son of God uh, because James grew up with him and uh, he knew who he was. And for him to bow his heart to Christ is a huge, huge witness to who Christ really was to authenticate the deity of Jesus Christ. And so he writes this book on, on what, it, what it looks like. And, and to those that he's writing to in his letter, he's writing to those that are kind of waffling in their faith a little bit. That they're, they're confessing one thing but it's not being produced in the way they live their life. And I think all of us can follow that trap at times where we believe something, right? And, but then we don't, we don't follow through with, with really what we believe. And so what James is writing to these Christians, he's saying, listen, if you confess this, if you believe this, then it needs to be seen in the way you live your life. And so we talked about a couple things the last couple weeks. We talked about how do we live out our faith when we face many trials of many kinds. And James says, because that's going to produce... A deeper walk with Christ is going to produce perseverance. It's going to mature your faith. So allow those trials to come. Not only allow them to come, but receive them with what? Joy. Right? Receive the 20 degree weather with joy. And it's spring. Just receive it with joy. And so he's saying, as a mature believer, walk with the Lord. If our faith's going to mature and be complete, then we've got to receive those trials with joy because we know that God's doing something deeper than maybe what we can see, even though we don't like it. But we say, you know what, God, I know you're good and I know you want to mature my faith because God cares way more about your character and your holiness than necessarily your happiness. 
And so we have to get to the point to where we say, God, if I'm going to follow you, if I've laid everything down, even even, you know, even, uh, you know, Peter said, Jesus, didn't we lay everything down to follow you? And then Jesus, well, unless you leave father, mother, brother, sister and lay everything down for me and the gospel message, you can't be my disciples. Unless you lay everything down for me and the gospel message. You can't be my disciples. What, what does Jesus mean there? It means that the gospel message is not necessarily for my benefit. It's for God's glory and his benefit for what he's done for us. I have to get to the point in my life where I say, God, am I serving you because you're the means to my end? Jesus, am I serving you? Even I heard this um, great devotion by Oswald Chamber, and it just really spoke my heart. He even said this, um, can we tend to get to the point in our walk with God where we serve the Lord, where we want God to deliver us from our sins and to make us holy for my benefit? Because it makes me look good. Or am I doing it because, God, I'm doing it because I've laid my life down, and then the fruit of that is you give me this righteous life. But am I serving you only for the way it looks for me? Am I serving you because I want you to get me out of all this mess because it makes me look better? Or do I want you to deliver me from all this stuff because I'm laying my life down for you, for what you've done for me, and now I want to proclaim that gospel message because I realize that you are God. And so we've got to be careful. Listen, 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 listen. We've got to be careful because in America, we live in a self-serving society, right? It's really about me and it can be, it can be very self-indulgent. Even Jesus can become a point of self-indulgence and not me laying my rights down at the foot of the cross. And so my heart's desire for you as your pastor is I'm going to needle you once in a while. I'm going to prod you once in a while. I'm going to, I'm going to poke, poke, right? Poke at the big bear once in a while and and, 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 and let it wake up a little bit. I'm going to poke you a little bit because my heart's desire for you as your pastor, more than anything else, is that you would mature in your walk with Jesus Christ. Is that, is that your discipleship with Jesus and your walk with Christ would grow deeper and deeper and deeper. And sometimes that's going to involve difficulties and trials in your life that aren't going to be easy at times. But we know that if we are followers of Christ, we laid everything down to follow him. And so what James is doing here... In this part of the book of James, we're going to look at what does, really, what does authentic faith look like? I mean, really, what does my, we all say we have faith, though I, I put my faith in Jesus, I follow God by faith, it's by faith we're saved. Um, what does that mean? What does faith really look like? What does mature, authentic faith look like? And so, what I want to dive in today is that very topic, what does this authentic faith look like? Hebrews 11.1 one describes faith in this way. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so I want to, let's understand something about faith before we dive into the, the passage there. True faith is not blind faith. It's not a shot in the dark. It's not wishful thinking. Right? It's a, it's a certainty that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. There's a certain, it's not, oh, I hope so, or it's a wishful thinking that, oh, I hope everything turns out okay. No, this is a certainty that God is going to do what he says. It's a trusting in the all-powerful God that he is sovereign, that, that he has chosen to reveal himself through his word and through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. True faith, if we're going to understand faith, it's one of obedience 
to God's word. True faith says, I'm going to obey you, Lord, even though I may not see the results right now, but I know that you are true, and I know that you're true to your word, so I'm going to follow you regardless of what I see right now. You see, when, when, the, children of, when, the, children, when the Israelites went through the wanderings in the desert for 40 years, do you not think that that was a faith walk? Every day, they had to trust the Lord for even the menial uh, uh, conveniences of just water and food. They had to literally walk by faith. And God wanted to teach them something. That I am your God and I'm going to provide for you even though you don't see it in this wilderness with no water and it's arid and it's dry and, and you're going to have to face enemies of many kinds. But I'm going to show you. I'm going to provide for you even though you don't see the food in front of you. I'm going to give you bread from heaven that, that, that you didn't produce but I gave it to you as a miracle so that your lives would be provided for. See, we have to get to the point to where it, we stop depending on ourselves where it becomes this total act of obedience saying, God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't see it. So in this section of the book of James, he emphasizes what true authentic faith look like, looks like. So if we believe that it's through faith that we are saved and it's through trusting God and his only son, then I realize that I bring nothing to the table. I can't save myself that I need a Savior, that I can't overcome my sins by myself. I need God's forgiveness, and it's all done through faith, believing and trusting Christ. Now, we understand that the type of faith that saves us from our sins and delivers us from an eternal hell is faith in Christ by God's grace. We have nothing to do with it. Right? We, we understand that, right? It's, it's, it's not by my righteousness it's not by anything good that I've done. I bring nothing to the table. It's all what Christ has, Christ has done for me. Because what that does is it makes me completely helpless towards God. That, that I don't come to the Lord and say, well, part of it was me, God, and, and part of it was you, right? A little bargaining going on at the table. We've got nothing to do. It's completely God's act of righteousness towards us, His grace towards us, that we are saved. And it's all done by faith not by our works or our righteousness. Now, we're going to read something that's going to confuse all of you now. You're going to say, okay, I get that. And all of a sudden, it's like James puts a whole other twist on it. And if you read this passage at face value, it can become very confusing. And what I want you to see is as we read this passage of James, I want you to see that James takes this saving faith and now he puts legs to it. What does saving faith and Christ look like if, if I'm if I believe in Jesus and if I believe he's the only way and if I believe he's the son of God and if I believe that, that he is the only way to God, that he's the way, the truth and the life. And there's no other no other way by which man can be saved except through Jesus Christ. And it's only by my faith uh, through Jesus work on the cross that I can find my salvation. What does this look like now? Practically, how does this look like? So I want you to have that in the back of your mind as we read this passage. What James does is he takes the saving faith and now he puts legs on it. Okay, so let's look at James chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 14 through 26. And, and what James says is this faith in Christ, if it's not seen in how I live my life, then that faith is dead. And so let's see what he says here. Um, James 2, 14 through 26. James says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? 
Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give them that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, Someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. Okay, that's what we're going to really look into, this completing of our faith. Verse 23. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead, is, is dead without good works. Now, as we read that, at first glance, this seems like it's in direct conflict with what the Apostle Paul wrote about faith in Christ. That he said that we are saved by faith alone, by God's grace. And so for some of us, this may think, man, this, this pastor, this is really confusing. But I want you to understand something here about James. I don't think there's a whole lot to be confused about here. Because what James is emphasizing is there has to be fruit to our faith. And it's, he says, what good if I talk a good talk, but don't walk a good walk, right? He, so what he's saying is, if my faith is real, if, if my faith is, is real and I really believe what God has done for me, the result will be in the way I live out that faith in my life. So you have to remember the background here. James is writing to a group of Jewish Christians to continue in their faith, and some were failing to put their faith into action. They were actually lukewarm and wavering in their commitment to Christ. And so we may say, well, wait a minute, you know, Pastor, isn't Paul and James talking about two different things here? It seems like James is saying that you're saved by your faith and works. And Paul is saying that you're only saved by uh, faith alone. What, what, I, what I want you to understand is I don't see a discrepancy between Paul and James. In fact, I see them complementing one another. I see James taking the foundation of justification by faith and our faith alone in Christ and then just adding to it by saying this is the way it looks in our everyday life. I want you to see it as almost two bookends. Paul emphasizing justification by faith. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. And then James emphasizing good fruit that should flow forth from true faith in Christ Jesus. Is that, is that okay? Or 8.30 crowd? Depressed because Syracuse lost last night. Okay, we okay? Okay. So there's the two bookends. Okay, so let me explain first the one 
side of the book in here, the justification by faith. And then we're going to look at the work side because here's the danger that we can fall into. It, it's much, Let me just say, for, for me, for us as humans, the default of our heart is much easier to fall into the works righteousness. Because if, if I can... If I can um, uh, if I can look at my uh, walk with Christ and, and if I can uh, say that, OK, I've done all these good things in my life, it's easier for me to justify the way I live or am I righteous because I do all these righteous things. And then we end up getting into this works righteousness, trying to please God through our righteousness. And, and some of you may raise that way or thought that this is the way I get closer to God by going to church and reading my Bible. And then I kind of appeased God's love towards me and his anger against me and by all the good and, and, and then it's like this whole you know you got this whole checklist of all the good things I have to do in my life and it's a never ending pit of trying to please God we've got to be very I want to be very delicate in the way I walk through this because I don't want to trip some of you back into this works righteousness where you feel like I've got to be doing 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 in order to please God because we know without faith no one can please God amen so so let, let let's walk by this very carefully so I want you to see this two bookends so let's talk about justification by faith so let me explain what this means justification by faith because this is what Paul lays out in Romans and Galatians and, and Ephesians and some of his writings um, first of all John Calvin theologian said this if if it is it is faith alone that justifies but faith that justifies can never be alone so let me explain what this means paul says that we are justified by our faith and not works now now this is something that is very important to understand because justification is the act it's a theological term it's a biblical word justification is the act whereby god declares the believing sinner righteous on the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross. Now, what this word justification is, it's, it's basically a declaration. It's, it's actually a, a legal term that God declares you not guilty anymore. We are all guilty because of Adam and Eve, Adam's sin, and, and we're all declared guilty before God uh, because of sin. We're all sinners. We're, we're born that way, okay? We're all sinners, and we, that's the whole purpose why God... Uh, sent Jesus to this earth to redeem us from sin. We couldn't save ourselves. And so it's a declaration, it's a legal term that God declares you not guilty anymore because of my faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus became that substitute for us. It would be like you stand in the court of law and the judge sentence you guilty as charged of being a sinner and then Jesus coming in and, 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 and your charge is death. Because of your sin, Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to take the penalty and the charge of Bard and Jerez, and I'm going to die for him and in his place. Even though I'm innocent and not guilty of this sin, I'm going to take the place. So you and I didn't get away with it. You, you get that, don't you? There's no escape clause. You didn't, you, you didn't get away. In fact, what happened was Jesus took your punishment for you and I. He took it on the cross. It was a brutal death, not only physically, but spiritually. He took the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. And not only that, he took God's wrath that should have been pointed towards you and I because of our sin. Jesus took it on himself and became obedient. He became our substitute. So the way that I made right before God is my faith in Christ. I say, okay, it's got nothing to do with me. It's everything 
about Jesus and what he's done for me. So I put my faith in Christ, believing that he died for my sins. So this word justification means it's a declaration. It's a legal term. God declares you not guilty anymore. And not only that, does he, does he declare you not guilty, but he goes a step further and now declares you righteous. He imputes Jesus' righteousness into your life. And you're like, well, wait a minute, I keep sinning. Well, that's right. We're, we're not heaven yet. We're still going to be making mistakes. But now positionally before God, you are righteous because of Christ's works for you. That's a pretty good deal. What, what an awesome exchange of God's love and his grace. And so I never want you to forget what Christ has done for you. And so justification, this declaration, comes by faith alone. That's it. Which means I don't earn it or I don't deserve it. It's all by God's sheer grace and mercy. Now, I don't, I don't have this um, for you on the screen, but, but write this down if you're taking notes. Romans chapter 5. And I just want to read you a couple verses in Romans chapter 5. Um, so if you're taking notes, you can write these down. You can look these up in your Bible. Let me give you a couple of things here, what Christ does for us and how we're justified through faith, Paul says. So Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we've been justified through what? Faith, not my words, through faith. Now we have peace with God, right? Because now no longer are we enemies with God. Through Christ and his substitutionary death, I now have peace with God. I can lay my head down at night going, God, I'm at peace with you. If I were to you know, lay my head down, you know, the, the little prayer, if I lay me down to sleep, Lord, but I don't even know what it is, but whatever it is. Um, pray, my Lord, my soul to keep, take, whatever. Um, I know that I'm going to be with the Lord. Because I'm at peace with God, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. It's only through faith that we are justified. Now, if you drop down a little bit in, in chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says, since we, are, since we have now been justified by his blood, right, his sacrifice on the cross, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So it's only through faith that we are justified, that we are made right, that no longer God's wrath is pointed towards Barden's race. It was pointed towards his son. So by me putting my faith in Christ, I am now covered in that sacrifice. Can I hear an amen? This is good stuff. Okay. Verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for what all men... So also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Just as Adam's sin brought death to all men, so Jesus' one act of righteousness brings justification and life to all who put their faith in him. So we understand that this justification to be right before God only comes through faith. Now, here's... Here's the question, okay, that, that, that we need to look at what, what James is saying here. That initial step to my righteousness is through justification. God justifies us. He declares us righteous. And that's through my faith. That's my initial step towards righteousness. Now, what James does is he gives the other side to that now. 
He says, okay, if you believe all this stuff and you understand justification by faith, now let me give you the other side to saving faith. If, if we understand uh, that, that, that there is no charge against us now because we are in Christ Jesus, how does that faith look? Is it, is it just empty words? Is it just cheap faith? Is it faith with no substance? And so James uses this word, if, if there's nothing that is alive in you, that's producing good works in your life from understanding what Christ has done for you, then, then that faith is probably dead. Does that make sense? So if I believe it there, listen, if Christ has changed my heart, if he's changed my life, there has to be, my life has to be different. I should be living different than I did before. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin. That doesn't even mean we don't sin. But, but if I'm not, if, if, if my life is just the same and I don't care about lost people and I don't care about what God is doing in the life of other people or I'm not praying for people, something's wrong there. And that's what James is saying. Your, your, your faith is dead. There's, there's got to be something that's alive in you. So he's not saying that work save you. He is saying that true faith must result in change. There has to be a changed Life. Even Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, very hard words. Jesus tells some people in the last days, he goes, I never knew you. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Not everyone who just says, Lord, didn't we do all these great things? Cast out demons, did all these great works in your name. Jesus says, sorry, I never knew you because you really never did my will. That's pretty scary if you think about it. So James says that even demons believe and shudder. Anyone can say they believe in Christ, but the proof is in the way they live that faith out in their lives. Amen? Okay, so it's not that works save you. are not trying to appease God's love for you, but I'm going to try to do more works and do more good things. No. He loved you 2,000 years ago. His love for you was established way before you ever loved him. God demonstrates his love towards you, right? That while you were still a sinner and you were still enemies with God, he sent his son to die for you. So God established that love with us. We don't establish it through our good works. So James expresses a couple of key components to authentic faith. And the first thing he says here is a true authentic faith. He gives just one example. He gives a couple examples. But the first one he gives is, he says, true authentic faith is one that cares for people. That cares for the needs of others. Okay. Now, let's be careful here. Because there's a lot of people that do a lot of good things, but they're not followers of Jesus Christ. So, so let's be careful. Just because people are doing a lot of good things and helping a lot of people and helping the poor, doing a lot of humanitarian efforts, that doesn't prove that their faith is real in Christ. Because Jesus even said to those people, you know, yeah, you did a lot of things for me, but I'm not your Lord. You really didn't do my will. You did your will, but not my will. So let's be careful. So James says, listen, if it's true authentic, we should care about people. We should care about the poor. We should, we should care about these humanitarian needs in Jesus name, because it's, it's a platform that we can use to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. I mean, there's a caring Jesus loved people. Right. So we should love people also. But let's be careful that that doesn't authenticate also our salvation, because some people can hide behind the skirt of all their good works, but they're not really serving Christ. They're really doing it for their will and their good and for their glorification, not 
Jesus' glorification. So James gives a good point. Listen, if it's true faith, then it's going to be in the way that we serve people and love people and meet people's needs. Now, the second example, because I think we all get, if, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we get it. We, we need to help, right? That's why we do missions. That's why we do outreaches in our, in our church. That's why we want to serve people and help people in our community and, and, and love them through acts of service. I mean, that we get. I think for the most part, we all get that now. It's the second one that I think is very difficult. This is where it's going to hit home with every single one of us. I don't, the first one was easy. Amen, brother. I get it. We've got to serve people. Yeah, bring it on. I'm doing that. So my faith is authentic. Praise God. Wait a minute. Before we all get all hyped up on each other and how wonderful we are and how much we serve people and serve the world, it's the second one that's the hard one. Let's look at the second one. Here's the second one. True, authentic faith... James says, also is a faith that trusts God when we see no way out, when, when maybe it, it's, it's something that we don't know how God's going to work through this, and it, it, this is a complete trust of obedience, saying, God, I'm going to trust you regardless of my circumstances. This is where it gets a little tougher. And, and what he does is, is he uses two people who are extremely different, polar opposites. And he uses these two examples of people who said they believed in God and trusted Him, and God counted them as righteous because of their faith in Him, but also proved it through their obedience in some extremely difficult circumstances. So what he does here is James says, he uses his first example of Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish nation. He was called a friend of God. He listened to the call of God and moved his family from his country and completely just uprooted and said, we're going to go to another country. We're going to follow the voice of God. God's going to make a great nation out of Abraham, out of his son. We all remember he had no kids and they, Sarah was old in age and she laughed. Am I going to have children? I mean, it was, it was kind of a humorous thing for Abraham and Sarah, but they trusted God that he was going to do it. So they, they, they made mistakes along the way, but they uprooted from their land and they traveled to a land that they did not know. They lived in tents for this reason. They didn't build a permanent house. The reason why they lived in tents is because when God said, I need you to get up and move, they would get up and move. And so they had to follow by faith. And so the, God counted that, that faith as righteous because this was before the law. So God counted that faith as righteous for him because of his faith. Great example of someone walking by faith and God counting righteousness to him by faith. Now, the other one is the polar opposite of Rahab, the prostitute. She was actually considered the enemy of God because what happened is when the Israelites were, were, were finished with their uh, 40 years of, of wandering, the first city that they were going to have to go into was Jericho. This was a huge walled city. And so what they did was they sent spies into the city to kind of spy it out a little bit before they would have to go to battle. And Rahab was a prostitute who hid these two spies that, that the people of Jericho found out that were hiding. They wanted to kill them. She let them out the window and let them escape. And she protected the people of God. And she even put her trust in their God. And so God said, when I come to destroy uh, Jericho, I'm going to save Rahab. So here's this sinful, sinful 
person, prostitute, who is saved by God because of her faith in God. But now what, what, what happens here is James takes it a step further. And, and I want you to show what, what, what he exemplifies in the life of, of Abraham and Rahab. Both of them trusted God and put their faith in them. But both of them would have their faith tested. Both of them would have what they believe in God tested by their actions. And this is where James comes in and says, this is where your feet are going to have to be put to your faith. This is when you're going to believe God when it's not all hunky-dory, right? Everything's not perfect. Your life isn't a neat little bow, bow, you know, box, nicely wrapped with a little potpourri on it. And that's our nice Christian life, right? Um, he says, listen, it's going to get messy right now. And you're going to have to trust me when it doesn't make sense. So I want you to see something here. God asked Abraham to offer up his promised son, Isaac, as an offering. Say, what? Wait a minute. This is my son. This is the promise to make a great nation. Now you want me to go and take my son and offer him as an offering unto you? And God said, yeah, because I'm going to test your faith. And so what happens is he goes and he sets up the sacrifice. And Isaac says, you know, Isaac was older. You know, what's going on? I see the wood. I don't see the sacrifice. And Abraham takes his son. Lays him on that altar in obedience to the Lord. And what happens is out of the thicket, a ram comes and God provides an offering in place of Isaac. God provided for you and I that offering in his son, Jesus Christ. You see, Abraham's faith was tested by his actions about, do you really believe me? Are you really going to trust me that I want you to offer my son? And God provided and God saw the faithfulness of was Abraham already righteous. He sure was. But his faith. Listen, James says his faith was completed. His faith was mature. His faith grew deeper. His faith was completed in the means of it was like, okay, I see where your heart is. You say that you're right because you followed me. You picked up your family. But now I see that your faith was completed. You see, Rahab risked her life by hiding the spies. And God didn't forget about her. And he saved your life from the destruction that was coming. To the enemies of God. You see, I want you to understand something, people. There will come a time in your life where your faith in Christ will be tested. A time when you will have to put your faith to work. And it's not going to make any sense. There's going to be a time where you're, 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 you're going to have to say, God, I, I just believe that you're trying to mature me and, and you want my faith to be genuine, so I'm going to trust you through this. There are going to be times when you're going to have to step out and just... Step out in faith and just believe God that, God, I know you're faithful and I put my trust in you and I know you've saved me, but I know that you want to do a deeper work, that Christianity is not all about me being happy and my life being all perfect. Sometimes it is about going through trials. Sometimes it is about going through hardship. But I know that you're maturing my faith. I know that you are faithful. So I'm going to keep walking this way and believing that you're going to do a good work. 
And I can remember as a teenager when I first accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior and I began to follow Him and I can remember I was in high school and I, I went to a public high school and I can remember that day when my faith was tested. It's burned in my memory like it was yesterday. And I can remember... You know, in, in front of the youth group, I stood up and I said, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I could tell that Jesus did something radical in my heart. And, and I knew that I was a follower of him. I knew I was saved now because I put my faith in Jesus. But on Thursday, I had to walk back into public high school. And so I remember how hard that was. But I remember not too long after that, I was standing in my locker. And there were some popular girls that came up to my locker. Some of them are cheerleaders. And I'm like, what are they doing at my locker? First of all, whoa, okay, how y'all doing? How you doing? You know, so I'm at my locker, and one of them steps forward, and they go, um, we heard that you were a born-again Christian. Is that true? Okay. Um, and I'll tell you what, in the back of my mind, I'm saying, either I can deny Christ right here, or, or this is when my faith gets real. Easy living in that church, isn't it? It's hard living it out in the real world. And I remember I stood there for a second. And I remember thinking to myself, Jesus, I don't want to deny you. Because I know you saved. Now, I wasn't the perfect person at school. I made a lot of mistakes. But I remember standing there going, I am. And then two of them were like, oh, okay. And they walked away. And then two stayed. And I said, well, what does that mean? Because we've never heard of that. What did it mean to be a born-again Christian. And there in the hallway, I was able to share my faith. And I remember walking home, thinking to myself, that was a defining moment for me. That was a defining moment for me in my walk with the Lord. Because I believe that's where God put my faith to the test. That's where I believe God completed it. Now, I believe that I was saved, and it wasn't because of that moment that I became a Christian, or that, you're okay now. But I believe that God completed it because I had to be put through that test. And people, we're going to be put through test after test after test. Not because God hates us, not because God's trying to make our lives miserable, but God puts us through those trials and those tests. Because he desires for you to be mature. And you know what that did for me? I can remember going home and talking to my twin sister, who was a follower of Jesus Christ before I was. And she just lived out her faith. I mean, she was not embarrassed. She'd read her Bible right in the homeroom before I was a Christian. I'd be hiding underneath my desk going, oh my gosh, and she can open up her Bible again. I mean, she wasn't... You know, she wasn't like, everybody, you're, getting, you're going to hell. I'm going to read my Bible now, you bunch of sinners. She would just quietly do her devotions, and people would ask questions like, Barb, what does circumcision mean? I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, kill me now. Okay? Um, she just lived out her faith. And I can remember going home and, and chanting there with her. And I can always remember her telling me, she goes, Barb, now you know what it means to be a father. It's not always going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But you know what? It's all about denying ourselves and saying, Jesus, do I really believe you? Am I going to follow you regardless? And so for me, I look back at those times of the test of my faith and I didn't like it and it's not fun and it's not easy. 
But how many know when you look back at the testing of your faith, you know God is trying to create a genuineness in your heart and life that's real. How many just want the real thing? I want the real thing. I don't want cultural Christianity. I don't want religion. I don't want to play the church game. Those are the times that Christ makes your faith real. And that's what he wants to do in your life. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to, the way we're going to finish the service today is this. Some of you here today, you are, you're going through some faith struggles right now. And there's some things that you just, you don't understand why these are happening. And, and it's okay to ask questions. Um, that's fine. But, but for some of you here today, maybe there's some struggles in your life. Maybe there's just some answers. Maybe there's just some faith things that God is trying to develop in your heart. And, and, and as we kind of close up the service, what I'm going to do is we, we finish in as we, we pray and as we sing this closing song. I'm just going to invite you guys to come up and pray and just leave that thing at the altar. Um, listen, when you come to the altar of God, I love this. No, nothing... You sacrifice whatever that thing is at the altar. That's what they did in the Old Testament. Nothing dead climbs back off the altar and goes back. It's dead. It's gone. And sometimes we just need to lay things down before the Lord and say, God, is it me that needs to be laid down? Is it my will that needs to be laid down? By faith, I'm going to lay that down for you, Jesus. Not because I'm, I'm hoping for the good outcome and the perfect outcome. Don't even do, don't pray that way. Don't even just say, God, I'm just coming and I'm laying my life down before you as an act of faith just to say, God, if you need to mature my faith, then let me just submit to your will here. Not praying, not praying for the, if the great outcome happened, fine, Danny, that's great. But let's just get real with God and just say, God, if, if this is what you're doing in my heart, if this is what you want to do, then let me just lay this down and just trust you. So whatever that is in your heart, in your life, your bed. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask that you would pray that you would just trust the Lord and, and just lay that down before the Lord and just say, if anything, let your prayer be, God, just make my faith complete. Allow my faith to be genuine before you so that my life becomes an offering to you and not to myself. So I want us to stand and um, let's pray. And as we sing this closing song, if you want to come and pray, up at the front here, you are more than welcome. And just let let God do what he needs to do um, in your heart. And so let's pray and just let this last song be our prayer unto the Lord, whatever you're going through. I don't want you to leave this place without God just doing that deep work. So, Lord, we, we come before you and Lord, our desire is that we would be genuine. And Lord, we know that that it's through the fire, the gold is refined and we understand that it's through fire many times our faith and our walk with you is refined and purified. And so, Lord, I just pray that whatever circumstance we're going through today, whatever thing that we're struggling with today, that, Lord, we would leave that at your feet. And if anything, our prayer would be, Lord, complete me. Lord, Lord, complete my faith in you today. Through this trial. I believe in you. I know that I've been saved. But it's through this thing that I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of struggling. And, 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 and I'm struggling with it. But, but Lord, I just pray that you would complete your faith in me today. That I would just trust you irregardless of the outcome. I want to trust you. So, Lord, give me the faith to trust you. To believe. And I thank you 
that in return you give me that peace that passes all understanding. That you give me a deeper love for you that I could never get any other way. That's what we want. We want a deeper love so that we can serve you with genuine hearts. So Lord, do that in every single one of us, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. God bless you. Amen.